Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wusha Workshop. It's been a long, long time since we've been, been, a, been a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a while. I do want to warn people, I am going to have to periodically check out for a moment while Joel runs the show for us. So every 20 minutes or so, there may be a little bit of a pause in the broadcasting here, but I'm sure Joel will keep things going. Oh, yeah. um, I got a copy of uh, Thomas Legati's Grim Scribe. I'm just going to start reading up excerpts from that. So I please. I hope you guys um, are big fans of Nethoscurial. So, um, so today we're so for those who don't know what Wusha Workshop is, we basically take a movie, we talk about it, we also talk about it in a gaming context. And before we start, I want to mention Joel has a game called Lone Wolf Fist Out, uh, which I highly recommend. You can get it. Is it on Drive Through, Joel? Yeah, right now it's on drive through and I've got a version of it on uh, itch.io, too. So right and now it's only PDF, but we're getting getting to the point where we're making hardbacks out of it. It'll be print-on-demand soon, so get ready for that, true believers. And would you describe it as a post-apocalyptic kung fu game? Is that the best sort of... I would describe it as the world's foremost post-apocalypse <laughs> kung fu game, yes. So I think... I think, I think the, if you are there any enough, others? I guess that's the question. call yourself the best. That's, that's the rule. Um, <laughs> So, there uh, is an Italian Fist of the North Star game, okay. uh, but it's not as good. Um, and it's, is it is that one translated into English or no? No. Okay. So then, <laughs> for, for for the audience that listens to this podcast, most of them probably though actually we do have an Italian audience. Uh, you, I, uh, I've I've had people in Italy uh, talk about my stuff on 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 YouTube and things. Um, so is that also. Just to toot my own horn, I have Sons of Lady 87 out. It's like basically yeah. a crime wusha sandbox is the best description of that. Uh, and that's available on drive through It'll soon be available in print. Uh, and today, yes. what was that? I said it's so glorious. You guys got to check it out. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really happy with it. Um, today, we're going to be talking about The Inspector Wears Skirts. The This is sort of an odd choice, obviously, for, for Wusha Workshop. Um there were a number of reasons why I picked this one, um, but I wanted to kind of, I, I was, there's a, there's a subgenre of Kung Fu movies called girls with guns. And this kind of fits in that subgenre. I, I think some people might not regard it as a girls with guns movie, but I generally would, even though it's kind of more of a multi-genre type uh, movie. But uh, I, I think that that subgenre would maybe have a lot of material that, that could be talked about in the context of a game like Lone Wolf Fist. So that's oh, yeah. one of the reasons why I mentioned it. Uh, the the movie that I wanted to do, which which is unfortunately not available on, on Prime, is the sequel to the heroic trio, The Executioners, because that would really fit. Um, but that one's not available. So I figured, well, we'll do something in the same ballpark. Um, so yeah, Joel, you saw it for the first time. What are your thoughts on the movie? Um... I really enjoyed this film, um, and I, I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons. Foremost among them, I think, is that I had no idea in a given scene what was going to happen in the next scene at all. Um, it totally does not have the three-act structure, and it's wonderful as a result. Um, it's, it's surprising, and it has a lot of really awesome stuff that happens and a lot of fun comedy, and it's got a big cast with a lot of characters, all of which uh, I would be very endeared to by the end of the film. Um, it's got a little bit of Police Academy. It's got a little bit yeah. of RoboCop, interestingly enough. Um, it's got a little bit of, uh, what is it, Ong Bak, the, the protector. Like, it's, it's got a lot. I'm curious, where did, you, where did you see the Ong Bak stuff, just out of curiosity? The last fight scene. 
Okay. Felt like you know what it felt like. It felt like watching the legendary uh, weapons. What was it? The legendary weapons of China, where it had that last fight scene where they just go through each of the weapons and have awesome duel with it. Like, yeah, that fight. Kara Hawaii is is in that movie too, so it's kind of an interesting comparison. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I do. I I always think of Police Academy when I think of this movie because the structure is very much like a Police Academy movie. At least I think so. It's got like this protracted training portion of the film where they're oh, yeah. all in well, it's, you know. it's such it's such a central part of getting to know the characters for us and learning about their journey um yeah I, I think that's like really the meat of the movie is that training yeah i would say that and i would say the stuff they sprinkle in between there's like a lot of so just so people know this is not like a pure 100 percent action movie it has great action in it there's there, there's there's some of the best action that you'll actually see in this movie but it's not oh. what the whole movie is about uh, it, it has a lot of training sequences. It also has a lot of social sequences where they're like at a roller skating ring and there's just kind of goofy stuff going on between the men and the women at the training academy. That that sort of a thing. So in some ways, it's almost like a hangout movie. Uh, and then there are these moments where it crescendos more into violence and you get this, uh, you know, the, the, the really, you know, wonderful action sequences. Mm-hmm. Um there's also but wonderfully yeah. poignant character moments too, like whenever the uh, the one girl is trying to get the other girl kicked out uh, because they she <laughs> like dragged her out of the yeah. obstacle course. Like and that's actually it was pretty moving to watch that scene. I was like, wow, this is actually a real sense of camaraderie between these ladies. I like that. Yeah, I thought I thought that because was it, it was like the, I think it was May wanted to get Eileen. Do I have that mm-hmm. right? Was it Eileen oh, she Jesus. wanted to get kicked out? And... Their names are so interchangeable. I can't remember anyone's name. Well, I know I know it was Kara Hawaii who wanted to kick out the other girl and. And and it was basically because she was the best. She had all these awards. She brought her awards into the thing because she got in trouble because the other girl didn't do as good of a job or something. And it was kind of like, you know, she she suffered as a result of this other person's incompetence was her view. And so she was like, kick her out or I want to get transferred. And then the the instructor, Madame Wu, sort of kind of reversed it and humiliated her a little bit, but also managed to bring her back into the fold so that unity of the of the of the group wasn't disruptive um which is what i thought was kind of interesting about that scene um because 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 the other girl is like drawing a really stark red line in the sand and oh, yeah. it, so um i thought that, well, that the, was... the performances are really good in that scene too like every like because you have the whole cast almost in that one scene and all of them are expected to convey a lot while still having this like militant military stoicism about them you know yeah. and they all do they all are able to convey like the complex shifting social dynamics and the internal struggles of the different people. It's really fantastic to see a uh, fantastic scene. Yeah. yeah this time around, I, I found myself paying a lot more attention to the Amy character. Who's the Sandra Ung uh, character. She's the one who's kind of more goofy. She's the, the one that has the inner beauty. She talks about her inner beauty. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, 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 we both have inner beauty. Yeah. And it's funny because they, they kind of call her like they basically say she's like not attractive and that she's overweight and she's neither of those things. Yeah, which no, not, makes it even they more They call funny. her fat in one scene and they yeah. give her some food because they're well, they, they have this wonderful comedy setup where all the girls are going to the cafeteria and the guy that's serving them is inviting each one of them to this little ice cream social yeah. thing. And at the end of it, she's like really expecting she's heard overheard all these invitations. And so she's like 
and he doesn't say anything to her. So she's like, do you have anything to say to me? And, and he's like, oh, yeah, you seem a little bit on the heavy side. And he produces some more food yeah. well, and hands it to her. And so she goes to the table in tears, all distraught. It's just what's so, so funny about that scene is, number one, the guy is a total horn dog. He's like hitting on every single woman in the line indiscriminately. Oh, yeah. And then he gets there. And, and again, she looks fine. There's nothing wrong with her. She's yeah. got a you know perfectly fine figure, all that. But the movie has decided that she is not the appealing one, which is it's kind of like in wuxia films. They'll do this thing where the ugly character will have like a raised red line on their face. And that's that's yeah, how you know a, they're ugly, even though they're like a glamorous movie star. Yeah, they're like a 10 yeah. out of 10. Yeah. And they have a raised red line on their face. I'm like, oh, you're so disfigured. Yeah. It's, it's like the equivalent of giving a really gorgeous supermodel character glasses and being like, she's a hopeless nerd. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's so, but the funny thing about that scene is he, he, he has the egg in his pocket and he hands it to her. It's like, he's fully prepared for this. It's just one egg. It's not like he's got a whole box of eggs and he, you know, no, he is. that's, that's the cow egg. You just give yeah. that to the fat one. So, but, I, but, the, but the humor is, and also those two characters kind of develop into almost, a, I think a couple by the end of the movie. Or yeah. At least a, uh, that, so I, that at least is the dynamic that kind of ultimately susses out. It, it's there's a lot of little rich but simple framing devices like that when it comes to characters uh, yeah. growing together. Uh, oh man, like the the instructor for all the the men, the the male squad, it, it, I fell in love with him. <laughs> that guy was funny. That guy, uh, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but he he was. Uh, uh, I don't know. He was a, he was a really good character, and he and he, I, I think. He, he he's easy to overlook, but he's so important for a lot of the humor in the movie to actually work and important for the Madame Wu character to be like by him being not, he's not like a really macho kind of character. I mean, he's almost a little bit of a loser in a way, but not, not to such an extent that he's like a hundred percent a loser. Just there's like enough loser in him that he's competent and, and clearly good at his job, but also, he is forced to humiliate himself uh, for his weakness to her on several yeah. occasions. And it's, it's really entertaining because it gives you a good sense of pathos. He actually is a good guy at heart. He's just kind of a sucker for this broad. Yeah. And he, and I think um, he, he, uh, I don't know, like, like the scene in, when, when, when they're, um, when they've been kidnapped. So at the end of the movie, there's this, ju- the, it all leads up to like a big jewelry heist scene which is the, uh, you know, there's, there's, and there's also kind of like a runway show. Uh, but during that scene, the, the robbers kind of one by one managed to find the police that are the special unit that these people are all part of that they've been trained to become. They find them and they, they uh, kidnap them and put them in a separate room. And the ones who don't get kidnapped have to find them and they want to blow a hole through the wall, but they don't want to kill any of their friends. And so he's, he's got a, deliver Morse code to them by bashing his head against the wall while he's pretending to cry. And it's like a really interesting multitasking comedy sequence that I thought would take a lot of talent to pull off. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause he's, he's, he's banging his head against the wall. He's giving this sob story. That's getting more and more ridiculous. He's just listing <laughs> off all of these horrible things that he's supposed to be crying about. And I don't know. I just find scenes like that funny in these kind of movies. Uh, well, I think I, what made it for me was the fact that he had bashed himself so much in delivering this extremely verbose message that he couldn't do it anymore. And his like, he just collapses on his friend who's next to him and is like, okay, your turn. And so that guy starts running to break down and bash his head and deliver the remainder of the message. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's like a domino effect. And also that guy's name is Stanley Fung. That's the, uh, the actor's name. who played ah, the, Stanley Fung. Okay. Yeah. He looks uh, like Stanley. He's got the yeah. teeth of a man named Stanley. 
Yeah, he 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 was he was very relatable and kind of basically like a nice guy kind of a character. Um, and so, you know, I thought I thought that uh, he he worked in the movie, but uh, but yeah, I don't know the the so uh, I forget what, what brought us from the. <laughs> We, we forked off talking about something else, and I know that brought oh, us. Man, to our, our natural enthusiasm for the movie has taken yeah. its course. Yeah, um, geez, I don't remember either. Um, I, I was really enjoying that little uh, conversational divergence, though. Um, it, it's kind of I think it's a little dull to talk about this movie in a linear fashion because it's mm. it's pretty boilerplate, I guess, because it's just we we have a need for an all female squad. All right, they're in the bus going to get trained. They train. They have an inexplicable, like, roller skating musical sequence. They go back to yeah. training. <laughs> then the mission happens. The end. Roll credits. It's it's basically Police Academy or Top Gun. It's that same type of plot. Yeah. You're, you're training. Okay, we're going to show all of the, like, the drama and comedy between all of the people and all the stuff that happens. And then there's going to be some threat that they have to deal with all of a sudden for some reason and that's basically what happens and and there's also an element this because it's an all-female like there's basically they go to an academy where they have an existing all-male squad and now they've decided they want to do a female squad so there's also kind of a a battle of the sexes thing that's going mm -hmm. on during the movie uh and i think i think the male squad is called like tiger squad or something like that i can't yeah tiger but, squad yeah and so uh, so yeah, why don't we talk about the dance sequence? Because I think that uh, <laughs> that warrants yeah. some discussion. Um, it's it's it, this movie, like I said, it's multi-genre in a lot of ways. It has a lot of different genres kind of intruding into the movie, but that one is striking because it just sort of happens all of a sudden during like a karaoke sequence. But then it's like a full dance number, and the guy who's doing it, it's like really out of character for how he'd been behaving that whole time and then suddenly he's like 100 percent committed to these dance moves that are they're the dance moves but they're just like borderline on the like they're just getting up to that line of ridiculousness that makes it entertaining but it doesn't fully cross over do you know what i mean yeah it doesn't it doesn't become a cartoon like it's it's still diegetic it's still happening yeah. in the universe yeah. it's just one of those things that kind of feels unbelievable even though Nothing in it is so weird that you're like, wait, what? It's not like, uh, what, was, what was that film we watched about the the time the, the time diversion thing with the Monkey King where uh, Tripitaka starts singing only you halfway oh, through? Oh, it. Um, Journey, uh, is that Journey to the West? Um, is that Journey to the West? No, no, it's a, a Chinese a Chinese Odyssey. That's the movie. That's it's what crazy. it was. Yeah, Chinese Odyssey. Yeah, that was kind of surreal. You know, that kind of felt like it was something weird from outside of the movie coming yeah. into it. I think that worked totally for that movie, but this works totally for this one. I will say it was unexpected, though. I did expect something to happen, and I expected it to be a little cheesy. This, uh, this kind of blew me away, uh, in a good way, in a good way. I, I really was entertained by this. Um, Can we also talk about the Ronald character? Do you remember Ronald? Which one is Ronald? He's is the Ronald? one that was dating the girl at the very beginning, and then he was supposed to go to study in the U.K., and then it, and then he ended up trying to date one of the other girls at the academy, oh, and so he's dating the bull. Right. And then they end up they end up ambushing him in the city and like just kicking the living crap out of him. Well, yeah, and then Madame is all like, "We don't take revenge that way." Yeah, um, yeah that oh, that kind of broke my heart because I really wanted that 
I wanted that relationship to work. But when they were setting it up, I was almost immediately like, this is doomed to fail. She's spoiling this dude. He's taking her for a ride. You know, this, well, also, this I mean, when he's, when he's first asking her out, like two other women walk up to him and they're like, hey, like, you know, what about our date or whatever that is they said? So, like, they, yeah. they you know, they, um, I, th- I think that was this movie. I could be confusing it with another movie, but uh, but I'm pretty sure it was this movie that that happens. But I, I kind of liked it because he's such a scumbag, but the guy that plays him is so perfect for that. Like, because he can mm-hmm. be the good boyfriend or like the total scumbag. He had like a, like almost a Hugh Grant quality where he worked on yeah. either side of that dividing line, the actor. Um, and uh, I I also love just how, just how merciless they were. Like, the thing I like about the action in this movie is how merciless the women are when they're beating up the guys. There's something <laughs> yeah. very, it's it's like, there's this catharsis to it, but it's done in a way that's like, I don't know, just so entertaining. Do you know what I mean? Like that, well, that, yeah. that, this movie pulls no punches, man. There's blood yeah. swips. There's people getting kicked across tables and into yeah. tables. God, there's one pratfall at the end that I physically felt in my hips and spine where uh, there's the two gunmen that are overlooking the fashion show and they climb up the wall and they shoot both of them and one of them falls down and onto a table and like it's yeah. just one shot. Like you can tell they made a stuntman jump off there and smash into the collapsible yeah. table. And I was just like, oh God, my bones. I mean, that's one of the things I love about Hong Kong movies. Even ones like this, you know that even if it isn't the actor, you know somebody is falling on that table. And oh, yeah. and a lot of times it is the actor. Do you know what I mean? Like there are a lot of shots where it's like, whoa, that's that's actually the actor doing that because you could they don't cut it or whatever. And oh, yeah. uh it, it's just it it, it it adds so much. I mean, obviously, it comes at a great risk and cost, and a lot of injuries arise as a result. I know, I know, Michelle Yeoh had some really scary injuries in the '90s, for example, but it really does make a difference. Like when you go and what you feel like you're watching something so special when that level of that level of risk was permitted, and you know, it's kind of like when you go back and watch like an old Buster Keaton movie or something. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's like, whoa, that that house could have just crushed him that fell. You know, I mean, has like the front yep. of the house that falls on him. <laughs> um, you know, or like the train, like the, the the Buster Keaton on the train thing. It, it it elevates it to a whole other level when you know that they're not just tossing a dummy off the side of the rail or something. Um, but my favorite sequence is when they when the two women grab the guy with. For like they each grab an arm and they just slam him into the banister. That's oh. to, to, to me that 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 because there's so much energy in that. It's like it, it's such an energetic uh, action sequence, and that is like the perfect cr- capping of the. Well, this movie had to do that. You're selling some pretty small svelte women here doing some enormously damaging martial arts. And it knew that it had to sell the velocity at which they were doing it. Yeah. You know, the raw kinetic energy they were bringing to it in terms of its outcome on a pretty muscular, capable male body. And so there's a lot of sequences. Like I'm thinking again about that fight scene in the end with the blonde guy where like they'll kick him so hard in the torso that his other end will go slamming into the corner of a table and he'll like roll away from it. But you feel it and it hurts. Well, what I like too is that they like the women take as much as they give in this, and that adds another layer. Of, oh yeah, do you know what I mean? It's just like it it it, it doesn't feel fake as a result because it's like well they're also getting like pummeled by this guy's not afraid to really hurt them. Do you know what I mean? And that yeah, and that, they get the crap kicked yeah. out of them too. It's awesome. Yeah, like you well, don't like see that in a lot of modern movies. Like you don't see people just take a savage beating and man, everybody does in this film. 
Well, and and, and and there's two ways to approach an action movie. There's like the Dirty Harry. Well, I guess Dirty Harry gets beat up, too. So that's a bad example. But like there's like the approach where like the hero never really is in any peril or is, you know, and, and, and for certain things that can work. Sometimes you want like a really awesome hero who's always one step ahead of everybody. Right. Like yeah, that, there's the a Superman method. Yeah. Well, not just Superman, but like there's kind of like a like spaghetti Western sort. Do you know what I mean? There's like a there's a style of movie where. <laughs> characters where you expect the guy to like always kind of have the right solution to a problem and you oh, yeah, never kind of like a step ahead yeah like john wayne is kind of like, again though i'm i remember pretty vividly there's there's films where john wayne takes a pretty fat l so yeah and, and, i get what you're talking about though yeah and so and so and the other way is the way that this movie handles it which is that well no like the 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 heroines in this movie actually like they they look like like they could there are moments where you're like, oh, they could lose. Do you know what I mean? Like that that sort of a thing. And not only could they lose, but it's actually quite brutal. And so mm-hmm. it it adds like another level of when they do finish off the bad guy, it's 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 more it's more cathartic as a result. And oh, so yeah. it feels like they earn their victories by enduring savage violence. And I love that. Yeah. Also, man, the violence in this movie, it's sudden and it's really, really amped up. Like, when I'm talking about the blood squibs, like, you really feel the impact of bullets on the human body when they shoot people. Even in the training exercises where they're supposed to be squibs, I think. um, Yeah, when when they get shot, it looks like it hurts. Yeah, they they do a good job with that. And also, it's interesting because you don't really expect it in a movie that's really kind of a comedy. Do you know what I mean? It's got more of a comedic vibe. And so when they get to that runway show with the jewels, you're... uh, I think it was a diamond. There was some kind of diamond that they were. Yeah, uh, yeah. The what was it? The it was like the star of Ramses or something like that. The uh, Solomon. Solomon. Yeah. I think it was something of Solomon. Yeah, the, the star of Solomon. I think is what it was called. Um, it had a cool name, and it looked nifty too. But I thought that it was uh, it was interesting that you know like the stakes were so high that like the, the, these these robbers, and and this is kind of standard in a, in a lot of Hong Kong action movies, but I like it that. They just they don't they don't take prisoners. Do you know what I mean? Unless they need to, it's, uh, they, they'll, they'll they 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 shoot freely, and that makes them more dangerous. Um, and so there definitely was that element. I also liked the karate fight in the middle. I think in the oh, translation man. they called it wrestling, but they were obviously doing like a karate or yeah, no, stuff. it was supposed to be like yeah. a karate or taekwondo or something like yeah. that. Um, Man, I, I don't know. Was it? I, I've not done an actual karate fight before. Was it a breach of decorum that whenever they were both bowing, one of them would immediately throw a kick at the other one's bowed face? It feels like kind of underhanded. Is that how it's I, supposed I to? I mean, I, I haven't done karate, but I've done taekwondo. And when you bow, you bow, and then you get into your fighting stance. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the impression uh, I got. But this one was like bow immediately, start murdering each other. But also, there's usually a person who says go. Do you know what I mean? That's usually the thing that signals what would be the i don't know but i think they were just going more for like the fun of bow and get kicked in the face right like there was something very funny about that well i and Um, one of the things it did was it established for me immediately that we weren't really following the rules here you know um we were fighting dirty and a lot of I, i there's so much to love about that sequence honestly um i really love whenever they're both picking the fighter for the other side and so she picks the shrimpy guy, and it turns out he's this muscle-studded yeah. Adonis under his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and they they pick the oh they pick that same girl who was uh, who was screwing up in the obstacle course, and she gets ruined, dude. Like that guy does not pull back at all. Well, he just completely kicks her around the mat. Well, that's one of the interesting. So, like one of the characters, like the 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 um, the 
I think his name was Ken, the the leader of the Tiger Squad. He's obviously in 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 love with with Madame Wu, so he he can't he can't fully commit to the attacks. But that one other guy, he's got like no compunction about it at all. Yep. That actually kind of bothers the other men. The other men are like, wait a second, you're going a little too. But what it was, what <laughs> I, so why it worked is because I think they they it was him against the the female character who was more goofy, and they already established that she's like. She's kind of got a more violent interaction in general throughout the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like when when she's when she's uh, sort of uh, flirting with the guy, they end up playing that singing game where they slap each other in the face. Do you know what I mean? So there's like a there's a slapstick thing with her that's kind of like you know that she, the actress is kind of okay being on the receiving end of that. Well, um, all but, the actors, actresses get their asses kicked in this movie, and it's but it's pretty. But she great, did it. Honestly. But she did a really good job. Like I don't like. The the way that she was taking, to, I don't know the way that she was comedically being pummeled. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. She, was, she doesn't seem brittle. She's like, and I don't want to be like her character invites that interpretation yeah. because like you don't want to you don't want to be on that end of the domestic violence uh, yeah. conversation. But I will say, yeah, there's something a little more like comedic and slapstick about the way she approaches violence in this movie in general. Yeah. And and also the reason why it's funny is because it's wrong. So it's like that's why that's why it's you well, know, that's the, all that out. They admonish him. Yeah, um, I do like that. That's that, bookended with an admonishment of everyone else pulling their punches, though. No, and that and that's what's that's what's funny about that scene. But uh, but it also it also kind of prepares. It's it's like a nice prelude to the final battle. Is kind of what I was getting at. Oh um, yeah, it it shows that although there are conflicts and paradoxes in the way the good guys have to operate within their moral framework, abandoning that framework makes you evil as hell. You know, yeah. Uh, and it it really makes the bad guys seem horrible. And uh, I guess the other stuff I like, I don't I, the humor in this movie I really like. Like, uh, oh, yeah, it's it, a fun movie. what was that? It's a fun movie, dude. It's funny. I laughed a few times. I like whatever. I, I like when the blonde instructor showed up. Um, I think she's maybe my favorite character in this movie. She was so. Oh, the Cynthia Rothrock character. Yeah, yeah. She's super hardcore and she's super competent, and she completely whips everyone's asses. And I, I love her so much. She's so great. Yeah, and she and she's like she's a real she's really great in these movies. I mean, she's like the, the actress who plays her is really great, and and yeah, I, I like she does the thing where she lights the, the she has them run on <laughs> I don't know what it is she has them run on some, this long strip and then she lights the strip on fire and then they have to outrun the fire like that's a that's that's her way of taking them to the next level. Uh, yeah, she's a and she did that thing with the gun where they're throwing the gun from hand to hand and then the yep. gun goes off at one point and no nobody's concerned that the, you know, the gun's discharged yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but i but other things too they're like really subtle things like at one point the it's kind of a pretty it's almost like a uh a trope but at, at one point the man and the woman both go into the bathroom because they're fighting and they're so flustered they go into like the wrong bathroom but when the woman goes into the men's bathroom, instead of the woman screaming, it's the men that scream. And it's just like this, it's this little touch that, because <laughs> then you have this visual of these men like covering themselves up and speeding. You know, yeah, it, I thought that was kind of funny. And it, it, you almost don't notice it, you know, because it, uh, you know, so, so there were like these little touches in the way that the humor was done. So some of the best comedy from this comes in those those little moments, you know. And it, like one of the great things about this film is that it's a proliferation of wonderful little moments like that. They they keep coming at you in this film, and they're they, they are the jewels of this film. 
and they they decorate every scene that they're in. So because yeah. there's a lot of little things, like whenever they're at the little little sock hop ice cream social skating ring thing, and the one guy is trying to make the lady jealous, and he's doing a good job, and she spills her Coke. Which, by the way, this movie powerfully sponsored by Coca Cola. Everyone loves Coke in this movie. Uh, but she like she squishes it and it comes out and spills on the floor. And she says this ah damn it look on her face, Jim, absolute comedy Jim. I snorted. Yeah, there there were there were a lot of moments like that. I mean, it's just I don't know. Uh, I I I think the like you said before, it's a fun movie, and I, that was kind of the thing, like to bring it into gaming because obviously we want to talk about <laughs> you know gaming and 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 how this relates to it. The thing that I was thinking when I was watching this. And granted, this is, you know, I think I've done another review of this or another discussion of it in the past. So it's not like it was the the first time I saw it. But the thing that I I noticed about it that I hadn't noticed before is. Is that that element of fun and how if you're going to take something like this and find gaming inspiration, making keeping the game fun, I think, is 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 something that. When people are doing like not everybody neglects to do that when they're doing genre because a lot of times that's sort of half the fun of making a genre rpg is finding the humor of it but sometimes it can be done in maybe too serious of a way and i think when you're playing a game that can that can be a negative sometimes do you know what i mean like it's absolutely a negative like i think people have this idea in their head that like immersive or genre pure role playing is something that precludes comedy or that comedy damages it and i think that this movie pretty clearly demonstrates the opposite is the case because even with the goofiness of the movie there's moments of like yeah. real true pathos again I'll, I'll point you directly to the to the camaraderie scene as I'll, i've come to think of it and there there's moments of character growth um uh like pointing out the the scumbag getting his ass kicked scene there's there's moments of uh intense incredible action uh for me the last fight scene especially that moment when the dude drops into what I can only assume is like a Southern mantis or monkey stance and starts going like classic Kung Fu on everybody. That was intense, man. Like you really feel the the, everything past that moment in the scene is utterly savage. It's so cool. Um, Breaks the head off the halberd and starts whacking people with a stick like Sun Wukong. I mean, like high marks, dude, you know, and it didn't sacrifice any of that. It wasn't less, there wasn't less action. There wasn't less yeah. pathos because there was a, a preponderance of comedy. And yeah. our action sessions, part of the social oil that we use to ease ourselves into this this immersive world of pure role play is comedy. It's at the table yeah. lightheartedness. It helps us kind of keep in mind that what we're doing isn't truly serious. Or like yeah. we're not operating. We don't have to be on in that scale. But it allows us to to pass past the membrane of of those social barriers and get into something that we really can't do in our day-to-day lives. And that real good immersive role play emerges from that. So well I, I think of it too like um it you it sort of demonstrates that you can be lighthearted, but that doesn't mean that you're not putting thought into the serious aspects of it. So like you were saying, the action in this is it's still 100% good action. The action is very good. Uh, they didn't skimp on the action just because they were doing a comedy. In fact, you kind of have these moments, like in the moment that you were describing with the halberd scene. And the uh, I think it was, like you said, monkey or mantis style. I'm not, I don't know the animal styles that well, but uh, he was doing some kind of animal kung fu style, which which was jarring because you weren't expecting it in that moment. 
But also, once that fight starts really unfolding, you're like, wait a second, this is an action movie. Like, I'm in a full action movie. Uh, and you might have thought you weren't in a full action movie 20 minutes before. Do you know what I mean? So that's, I, I think that's a very effective shift in focus. And, you know, it comes about because it's a movie that can have fun. And it can even have fun in the action scenes, just fun in a different way. And I think that really does make a big difference. I like when you with Lone Wolf Fist. Sorry, Lone Wolf Fist. I I see it like in, in how you how you approach like the martial arts, for example. Do you know what I mean there's like a there's an enthusiastic fun in <laughs> the creativity that you put behind those. Do you know what I mean? And so uh, it's it's easy to to fall into like a subdued approach. Do you know what I mean? The, or a somber approach or whatever. Well, yeah, or an over technical approach, which yeah. Has can sometimes have the effect of kind of leeching the fun out of the text. Like, yeah. I, I understand that what I'm doing is I'm creating rules that you're going to reference, but putting a, a pithy little uh, nod or wink to the to the reader in there, I mean, it does more than just make the text a little easier to digest. It comes up at the table. Uh, very frequently what I see when I'm playing Lone Wolf Fist is that people will have like they'll have the pdf open and I'll, I'll have my my copy of the book open because i have i have uh proof copies from the earlier uh earlier runs of the book and what i'll do and what they'll do is they'll crack open to the appropriate section and they'll read the text and when they get to the little in joke it'll it'll make the whole table brighten up like everyone kind of has a little laugh at it but it also does something great because it draws them into a shared experience you know, suddenly they all have a visual reference. Suddenly they all remember that anime or we all kind of share this little like unifying cultural moment. Dep yeah. Regardless of our backgrounds, we all love trashy anime. You know, we all love we all love Hong Kong movies and things like that. And so whenever those references pop up, they do more than just kind of break the tension. They they open up a little door, you know, and that door sucks you further into that immersive moment. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, humor, uh, humor definitely connects people and brings together. Like, 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 it just for me, like, when I'm when I'm working on stuff, I tend to do it a lot through characters. I don't necessarily make funny characters, but I like there to be a, an amusing element to the characters. Do you know what I mean? That kind of makes them pop. So it's not like you want somebody necessarily having barrel laughs, but sometimes you want a character who, like, if they're sadistic, they're so sadistic. There's something like. Vincent Price level sadistic about it. Do you know what I mean? That's that's kind of how I like to do these things. I think I think that does two things. Number one, it uh, it's just entertaining, and you want people to be entertaining both when they're reading the material, but also when they're running the material. But number two, it also does indicate that it's Vincent Price level sadism. It's not. Do you know what I mean? It's there's a difference if uh, uh, if if you're doing something Vincent Price level, there's a more tongue in cheek quality to it that I think makes it more digestible than if it were like just sitting there questioning whether the author is actually a sadist. Do you know what I mean? Not that right. not th there's a real world sobriety that enters in whenever you have to morally judge uh, what, what is pop entertainment at its core, you know, and I don't want sobriety. I want the entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of how I approach things. And and so and I'm not saying you can't have like a series, you know, you can have like a show like The Walking Dead and I don't think that the writer's a psycho because they have a psycho character. I'm just saying you tend to approach that differently as a viewer than if you have um, mm -hmm. something that's, you know, Vincent Price walks on stage and is twirling his mustache. And, you know, you, you, you kind of know what, you know, that it's, you know, there's like a humorous motive involved in, in the extremes. Um, but anyways, here's what I want to do. I, uh, 
uh, like I said, I have to periodically uh, depart for a moment. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave it to Joel. And what I want to do when, when I come back, Joel, is I want to talk about like how we I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but I really want to think more in terms of how would we gamify a movie like this? And, you know, it, you don't have to give brilliant answers. Just like, you know, <laughs> just just some thoughts and ideas, I think, are what we're more going for. So I'll be back in about two seconds. You know, Joel, you can have the mic now. Okay, I'll, I'll figure something else to talk about. Let me see. What do you think, audience? Uh, I'm thinking that I want to kind of stay away from the training angle. Um, I actually do have training rules in Lone Wolf Fist, but I noticed when I was making them that training sequences aren't really super... They're not great grist for doing role-playing games because they're, they're primarily entertaining as something that you watch and consume passively. Because if you're actually doing training, you're learning a skill, which is satisfying in its own right. But if you're not learning a skill and you're not being entertained, it's not clear what you are actively getting out of the training. So, um, like, in the training sequences, I mostly just... It's it's a thing to put in whenever time passes to make it a little more... It's kind of make it pop a little bit, you know? Instead of uh, just sitting around doing nothing, your character is training, you know? Something a little more fascinating. Yeah, you're back sooner than I thought. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I was I talking. About, I kind of, I kind of want to avoid training sequences. Um, and I know this movie is like a training sequence for like nine tenths of yeah. the runtime. But and I, I was talking about it like it's fun to watch that. Like whenever the the blonde sets the little track on fire and they've got to run away from it, that's surprising and fun. It's comedic and it's entertaining. Um, there's a lot of things like that where. Like they're picking up the heavy rocks and one of them decide like, and they're putting them in each other's backpack. And so someone yeah. puts a heavy rock in, a, in one of the girls' backpack and she's like, hey, this is really heavy. Would you put that in there? And she's like, yeah, just deal with it. So to get revenge on the person in front of her, she picks up a huge rock. Yeah. And then the instructor is like, OK, everybody run with the rocks in your hand. Go, go, go. And she's like, oh, no, hoisted by my own petard. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. You know, it's a little characterful moment that says something about like the, the thesis of the film, you know, which is that they, these people have got to come together and learn to cooperate and get over their pettiness, you know, or else it's going to yeah. they're going to make a lot of problems for themselves. And that's that's the film in a nutshell. Uh, but for role playing games, it's really hard to get something out of a training sequence because you're not actually learning a skill as a player. Uh, you learn a skill by playing the game. You learn how to yeah. you know play the game in a clever way. And you're not being entertained by something that is happening. Uh, you are expected to engage with something that ultimately is a yes or no. Do I succeed in the training? Which is a skill check. Yeah. It's hard to prolong that moment. Uh, so it's awkward design-wise. Yeah, that's that's like even in like a regular wuxia kung fu campaign, like finding the master is interesting. Serving under a master and like being given a new technique is interesting. But it's always been a challenge to make the actual learning of the technique interesting or the training. Um, and I mean, I say that as somebody who's, I, I have a lot of experience training. So I theoretically have a lot of real life stuff that I can draw from for fictional purposes to make it more engaging. But I think, I think you are sort of nailing it where, how do you do that without making it into a mini game that doesn't feel related? Do you know, it's sort of like, yeah, you can, you can put a mini game there. The guy yeah. that is uh, His Majesty the Worm did a cool training thing that I thought was interesting where there's like a dice matching game where, in the way it works, it's it's simple and it's kind of brilliant. You have a pool of D6s and you get more for better descriptions and you just basically tell the GM how you're doing the training mm -hmm. and you roll them and I think you look for matches 
and then you get to re-roll selected dice on yeah. on other training sequences you do later on. So it kind of has this moment of building up, and then there's this apotheosis moment when you've got enough matching sets that you learn the new thing. That's fun. You know, it's simple, so it's not like overburdening the rest of the system. And there's an element of the unknown in it, and there's a, a creative and descriptive element. So that's pretty much as best as I've ever seen it done. I, I could see it work because well, I was thinking about it. It's basically it's like a, a boot camp sequence or a training sequence. The way that it's done in this one is a little bit like a character creation portion of the game. So one way to do it Ooh. is you just bake it into character creation itself. Another way is sim still baked into character creation, but you you know games that sort of randomize elements of character creation. You just sort of do that and 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 relate it to this boot camp sort of process of. Well, okay. How skilled is the character at the end of this? Did they goof off? Did they learn something? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that would be, you know, for a movie like this, if you're trying to gamify it, I would go. I would try to have an edge of humor to some of that stuff where anything where the character isn't role, like it would certainly not be everybody comes out equally skilled on the other end of it. I would want there to be disparities between people based well, on how boot camp went. Um, but you know what? Actually, that's kind of brilliant because a lot of games nowadays, I'm thinking of stuff like Fate, have this this extended character generation where you describe your character's backstory to one another by dictating the elements of each other's backstory to some degree. So like you each have like, here's your core character, and then here's your relationship to another character, and then they tell you what your their relationship to you is, mm. and you kind of go around in a circle. So you could do that where you're doing uh, like team building, uh, especially yeah. if they're being drilled as a unit together, where you could come into situations and then decide whether or not you're going to have like a rivalry or help each other. Yeah. And that could determine like different elements of your backstory. So that could be kind of fun. I think you could do something with that. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause I, I would look at it like a, like a potential session zero in that case, like a, like, you know, how, like, cause, and that's kind of the stuff they're hashing out. They're hashing out how skilled are they becoming and what are the personal relationships that they have by the end of this? What are the tensions? And so I think, I think well, you could do it that way. Um, one of the cool things they get at the end of this movie, one of the payoffs to all of it, is that they can operate as a team. Like, whenever they need to climb a wall, they climb on top of one another in this really yeah. organized way. And they have, like, this group attack where they'll they'll blow open a door, they'll all jump in, guns blazing, and take out the bad guys. Yeah. And even if individually they have massively different stat lines, the fact is they only pull off those moves together. Um, so having shared kind of special moves and techniques that you can only access with your teammates would be a cool thing to come out of a shared character generation session zero thing like that. Okay. No, I, I could see that. I could see that. Um, what about the martial arts? Because this is a Girls with Guns movie. So this is a movie where you have kung fu or martial arts of a variety of kinds and you have guns. Um, and guns are effective, but so is martial arts. But, it, it, you know, where do you like... Obviously, how those th two things balance really would matter for a genre like this. And what was your impression with this movie? Like, where, like how, how, how much supremacy does a gun have versus a fist in it? I think. Deal? Okay, so and here's how it kind of runs in Lone Wolf Fist too, where if you have range on someone and you have a gun, you've got them dead to rights. Like yeah. they're they're about to get ruined, right? If they're close to you, suddenly it's up in the air because okay. either you can shoot them. And they won't block it this time, or they do, and you've got this big cumbersome thing that you can't use to really beat them up with, and yeah. they've got full mobility, and they can wreck your face, you know? So there's that. Another important thing in this movie, and this movie is smart, um, they have a guy who's really good at kung fu who also has a gun, and you'll note yeah. he starts with the gun. Yeah. Because 
it's low effort, it's low risk for him, and it works. It's super lethal. And until he runs out of bullets, and he does, you don't really see him dig into the kung fu super moves because it's yeah. too dangerous. You know, why would he do that when he could just pull point and pull the trigger? So I, I would say if you're going to gamify it, make guns lethal. Like if you want them to be believable, but make them lethal at range when there's no cover. Uh, if someone has cover, they should be able to dive into it. It's that allows you to to take all of your skills and say, okay, you do have a defense at least. Allow people to move under fire, still making use of cover. That way they can they can cross the no man's land and positioning matters. Make them count ammo because once the ammo runs out, it's all kung fu, baby. You know, this is all stuff that I wind up doing in my game, too, by the way. So I, I know it works. Well, and in this movie, this is the kind of film, like you're saying, where like if they pull a gun on somebody, the person listens to them. They don't necessarily just disarm the person right away. There are some scenes where a guy has a gun and there are kicks being thrown at the guy. But like you said, it's all at least close range. Um, but but people do seem to take the guns very seriously. And I just always find it fascinating because guns are always sort of a perpetual problem in kung fu movies uh, where. You need so you could do like the um, enter the dragon sort of thing where you have this conceit of no guns on the island. And that explains why <laughs> it can be a kung fu movie. Right. That's like the the that's like the clearest way to do it. Or you can do it in, in other ways where it's like, you know, the, the country is occupied by a foreign power and people aren't allowed to have guns or in, um, you know, in a lot of the uh, 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 in the line of duty movies, they emphasize that you're not you know, it's like illegal to have guns in in. Yeah, sanctuary laws are a great way yeah. to get around guns yeah. being a thing and martial uh, arts thing. You can still have guns, but it means that they're going to have a more, uh, there's going to be more restraint on where they can be used in the movie. Um, mm -hmm. Well, and you need it, to decide what guns are going to be for your particular game, you yeah. know? Because if they're just another weapon, then they're not necessarily more dangerous than a bow when you think about it. In the real world, they are. There's a reason they replace bows by and large. But like, you know, you don't have to make that decision. You can, it, depending on the fidelity level of your game and what you're going for, you can just be like, eh, death is death, you know? And in truth, in, in, this, in this genre of movies, there is a lot of variance. It's not, they don't all take the same, they don't all have the same answer to guns in terms of how powerful they are. Um, but what I like about this movie is it's one of the movies where their explanation of, like, what to do with the gun often arises during combat. Do you know what I mean? So it's not it's not the gun. No guns on the island. It's not guns are restricted. It's that in the course of the fight, the guy runs out of ammo or in the course of the fight, the gun gets kicked out of the person's hand. And then yeah, they got to fight for it. Yeah. So, so it's I, a dynamic thing. It's not predictable. And that's yeah. I think that's kind of wonderful because it shows that there is a supremacy to the, the modern type of warfare. You know, a gun is just better than Kung Fu when you're right down to it. But it's also it it has stipulations like it has to be used in an optimal circumstance to be purely better you know it's not just the rock to the scissors of kung fu it's you know it's it's something where like if you have them dead to rights they can't even use kung fu but if they don't well they've got a high risk high reward thing where if they kick the gun out of your hand before you pull the trigger bam no gun now now you're on their turf and and my approach like i would probably honest cuz it's funny i have games that have guns i have games that have kung fu i don't really have games that have both um, and so in terms of, I mean, kind of like Ogregate has the fire lance, for example, and a, a nine fire hand cannon, but it's like a very, you know, very medieval sort of level of weaponry for a gun. It's not, it's not something like a modern pistol or a shotgun. Um, and so I think I would probably take an approach where guns are certainly lethal. They're at the apex, but I'd still want Kung Fu to be very effective. 
And I'd want somebody who's really good to potentially be able to handle a person with a gun. Um, I mean, that's kind of the, the thing I do. But I, I get to sort of gonzo levels of power where you can just be bulletproof, the sort of Dragon Ball Z yeah. levels of power. Not every genre is going to have that. Yeah, that's it, it's about what you're doing. Obviously, if you're doing this movie, if this is the movie we're gaming, you can't do that. So I was thinking, well, how would I do that in a game where I already have the kind of kung fu that I have? And so some of the things that I was thinking of as well, one, like in my game, there are counters. One obvious thing is guns cannot be countered. That would be a uh, a way to make a gun more powerful. Uh, yeah, another way, up. yeah, another way would be to give them an accuracy bonus because I was thinking about it. In, 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 in my Origa game, crossbows, I believe, have an accuracy bonus. I'll have to actually look that up to know if I'm quoting my own <laughs> rules right, but I'm pretty sure a cert, certain crossbows do have an accuracy bonus. Uh, so an even better accuracy bonus for a pistol would make certain sense. I don't know enough about guns to know what the accuracy levels should be for different types of firearms, but that would be another way of making them effective. And then the third way I thought of is all of my firearm-like weapons do something called fire damage. It's just when they wound you, they continue to wound you round to round at a diminishing rate. So mm. if you take 6d10 this round, you take 5d10 the following round, then 4d10. Now, obviously, fire damage is maybe the wrong terminology to use, but something like that from a bullet wound... Yeah, call it like could, a grievous yeah. injury or something. Yeah. And you're kind of broaching into the mega damage thing that Kevin Zabita yeah. did with uh, Riffs, where certain things just do a whole nother category of damage. Yeah. Um, that might be a good way to approach it. Cause that way, even if all things are equal and you can just treat them like a weapon, disarm them and everything. If you get hit with one, it's real yeah. serious business, which feels right. Yeah. Yeah. Like another way is like, this is a wound based system. So you could say every wound a gun delivers does two instead of one. Yep. That would be another Oosh. way to, um, yeah. That also allows characters whose thing is being super tough to take more bullets, which feels yeah. right because it makes yeah. them feel really tough. And th and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to come up with ways of managing guns that makes guns really good, but doesn't doesn't make it into a pure gun genre. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, uh, giving them a significant marked advantage without making them the end all be all is kind of the goal there. Yeah. Now the other thing I will say is I noticed the kicks in this movie were especially good. I don't know if you. If that if that left out at you as well, but for me these like, seem like they they really do. Uh, the yeah. thing about kicks, um, when you actually practice martial arts for a little bit, you realize that not a lot of kicks get thrown. They they don't because they're clumsy. Like legs are big, long, clumsy mechanisms, um, and it's hard to make it to deliver a kick in a way that it doesn't get telegraphed because you have to move most of your body to reorient yourself. You're making yourself less stable because you now have only one leg on the ground, so it's easier yeah. to get tripped that's the um, big thing you can one... get grabbed your leg can get grabbed if you don't deliver it right so you have to deliver them swiftly and really hard and in a way that it's hard to telegraph them uh, or it's really hard to see them coming and you also have to deliver them away where you're snapping back before your opponent can take advantage of your vulnerable positioning so you have to do all of those things with a kick to make a kick happen so when you see that in a movie you notice it yeah yeah i thought i thought and i also noticed the power in the kicks the power was the power oh, of the speed. More than once, it's clear that what they have, they have some kind of rigged system where they're pulling them from behind to to really push forward how powerful the kicks are. But that blonde guy, when he kicks like a little like 110-pound lady, like she goes flying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it looks like she's just 
crumpled on the other side of that. It felt impactful as hell. Well, and, and, and one thing I can tell you, is, like uh, having done, so I, I did Taekwondo and then I did Muay Thai. And so Taekwondo is all kicking and mm. it has a lot of the issues that you mentioned, because for example, in the, in the, in the competitions, you're not, at least the rules that I fought under at that time, they've, they've evolved since then. You weren't allowed to punch in the head. And the reason for that was to preserve the kicks as the predominant yeah. attack mess, because once you can punch in the head, kicks kind of become less yep. of a thing um and muay thai also emphasizes kicks but it's a much more squared up it's just a different way of doing kicks and you generally deliver kicks after you've distracted them with punches and then you try to knock them out with a kick is not how i approach it at least um so yeah, and strategically that makes a lot of sense because you can kind of human beings have a register of about five to seven active things they can manage and whenever you're fighting someone, you're trying to fill up that register. So when you're throwing punch after punch from different angles, throwing the kick in there, as long as it's past their register, the likelihood of it hitting goes up exponentially. Yeah, I find I find especially if they move, like if like if you if somebody drops their guard because you're punching them in the chest, for example. Um, but I, I think that in in this movie, the um, uh, like what you just mentioned, how they they would kick them and they would go flying. The reason I brought up Taekwondo is because I've actually had that happen to me. Um, not to the degree that it happens in the movie. Like I, I, I get definitely like she went flying. She went halfway across the room. Yeah, but, yeah that was a little but, cartoonish. But. but I I was actually and this was not a competition. This was just sparring. But uh, you know, because because in our competitions, men had to compete against men and women against women. But in sparring, you could spar against women and stuff like that. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because I was sparring a woman and she did a back kick to me as I was delivering a roundhouse kick. And the momentum of me moving forward into her kick and her moving into me caused me to get long. And she was lighter than me. It caused me to get launched back. It felt like five feet. I don't know how many feet it was, but I, I, I like both feet went up in the air and I flew back. Um, And so, so, I mean, it's not, it's it, it, it certainly stylistic. The movie is very stylized violence, but I think the um, the idea of a person flying back that far isn't. It's not un- no, it's unimaginable. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, the the physics of throwing kicks, like you're moving a lot of mass around, and like you're saying, when you have opposing forces meeting like that in that unfortunate uh, ballet of of stomach wailing on, yeesh. Yeah. Yeah. How did you like, were you like totally winded after that or like, no, cause in Taekwondo you wear a chest guard. So, Oh, thank God. Cause like, man, but, that's something that break some ribs. But you know what I found out though? Like, um, when you do styles that don't use chest guards, like when I went into Muay Thai, that's what I thought. I was like, Oh, this is going to really, it's going to hurt unimaginably. And it turned out that you do so many sit-ups anyways, which you do in, ta- in Taekwondo as well. That, and, and you get so accustomed to it that your conditioning is good enough. The thing that, yeah. that gets you in the ribs is not the kicks. It's the um, it's the punches, I found. Maybe, maybe that was just me, but I found getting getting multiple punches to the same area of your of your Dude, even cage. weak punches. Even yeah. weak punches. You get yeah. two or three in a row, and you're like, oh, God. I, st- I, still have, I still have a rib injury from, like, years ago just from that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, yeah. but, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think that that... Uh, I don't know. I just thought the kicks in this were really spectacular. And I think in a lot of movies, you know, kicks are often the weaker part of the martial arts arsenal that you see on screen. Do you know what I mean? I, I feel like it's something that a lot of people don't, maybe, maybe the people that are doing it just, they haven't put as much work into kicks as they have into punches. Cause they, cause punches look better or something. I don't know. Or, I, yeah. but I don't know. 
But, uh, well, but it, I, again, it, it takes a while to train a kick to be convincing. It's got to take even longer to make it look convincing, you know? Yeah. And a lot of them, I think that you can kind of get away with some level of theatricality, too, where it's yeah. like it is understood this is an effective kick attack, even if part of your brain is like, there's no way that would land. Well, and I want the theatricality. I want it to look like I, I don't want it to necessarily look like a, a kick might in the street. I want it to look like a really platonic kick. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of what I'm looking it's, for when I'm watching a movie is the platonic kick. Um which again, if you've watched kickboxing, right? ideal kick. Yeah, you know, you just don't. It's not. It's not necessarily the kick that you would see in real life, but it's the kick that you imagine in your head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a movie uh, kick, and it's yeah. it's hard to that particular chemistry exists for everything in a in a medium like that. You know, it's not it's not that it looks like it would actually look. We're often surprised when we see the the real version of these, like. So I think it's one of the reasons that uh, that famous Muhammad Ali thing where he just did that one punch and rolled over the guy's head and he he just with the punch heard around the world. I think that's a reason that a lot of people looked at that and they were like, there's no way that dude. Threw oh, the, the fight. phantom punch. The phantom. Yeah. Yeah. But like if you look at it, you can tell it hits. And uh, I, I'm not going to get into the phantom punch today. <laughs> I, I, I spent I know like a few years ago, I spent like an hour or two just watching the well, punch. We even brought it up before. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like the the thing is, one of the reasons that strikes people as so discordant is because we have this idea, this raging bull idea of someone getting hit right in the face and all the muscles and skin rippling and their their skeleton getting thrown back, and the sweat flying everywhere. Like that's kind of what we have in our head when we're talking about getting a, getting punched in boxing. But a lot of times when you see boxers square up, they have these little really guarded jabs. Yeah. And one of those will take them out, you know? Yeah, like, you don't often see the ones that like the clean ones that go right through and you full in. You don't often see those, and sometimes it's more like a uh, a punch where the the impact is even coming from the boxer's own glove. Because right, it's, it's or easy. like um, I've seen Butterbean do a lot. Of, like I've I've seen him fight a lot, and holy smokes, doesn't doesn't look like he would hurt if he got punched by him. But a lot of real capable fighters go down real quick when Butterbean starts unloading on them. Well, he's massive, too, so it's got to add a lot of power. To the, yeah, it'd be like getting punched by a rhinoceros, man. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Um, but, I mean, also, I mean, in fairness, boxing is a dirty sport. And, the, you know, that that particular bout has – there's a lot of – there's a lot of stuff that people have – it wasn't just the punch. It was other things. But, but oh, yeah, there's a lot uh, of yeah. but, uh, but I think um, – well, the reason why I brought up kicks is, is I think that would be something that you would want to emphasize if you were doing the, if you were gamifying this movie. I think emphasizing the kicks as they were done in this film would probably be you'd want to make sure your game has enough kicks in it, is what I'm saying. Um, mm. That would be the thing to look for. Like I know in Ogregate, I'd feel like I need to make a few more kicks to kind of capture the style of kicking that I saw in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I like the recognition that there's more than one type of a given attack. Like you do yeah. different things with punches, you do different things with different kinds of kicks and they serve different tactical niches. Um, and I think that when you're approaching it in a game way, that's how they distinguish themselves. Like the visual can be there in the description. And I think it's good to have that description in yeah. there, but ultimately it's how am I going to use this? How is it going to come up and play? What problem yeah. is it solving? What opportunity is it making? That's what's memorable because that's how it's used in the game. What I, here's what I found. Here's like the the ratio that I found for um, and this is just for me. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but with Ogregate, and you'll see that the best techniques follow this format, and the ones that aren't as good don't follow this format. So <laughs> I think there's something to it. But basically, one sentence of flavor followed by 
a paragraph that gets immediately into the mechanics. Roll X and then do Y. And if yep. Y, then X. And it just is very clearly, very logical. And then if there's like, if you need to have a caveat, that can go as a sentence after the middle yep. paragraph. Exactly. Um, that's, that's precisely the formula. Yeah. That, <laughs> you know? that, Tell them what's about to happen and then immediately launch yep. into the verb of how you make it happen because, and then caveats after. And here's why. Because when we were first making the game, we hadn't been playing it as much. It was new. And so we hadn't learned that if you have a technique where the first paragraph is like four sentences of description, the moment people use that technique, what happens is they go and they're like, wait a second, what does this thing do? And then they got to read it. And then and in the heat of the moment, people aren't reading as clearly yeah. As they would if they were sitting down with a with a with a glass of brandy in a comfy chair. <laughs> now it's time for my reading, my my role playing game reading of the week. Where's where's my brandy? I must begin swirling immediately. Yeah, they're they're just not as relaxed because they can't be because there's stuff going on around them at the table that they need to be dealing with. And so it deflates the tension of the moment and it adds yeah. confusion and frustration yeah. and ambiguity and like yeah no. It, no. When and you I, test this stuff, the shorter one always wins. And and I can fully admit to that. Like I, I can tell you, if you if you just randomly pick, and 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 maybe there's one or two examples that don't fully fit this, but if you randomly pick a technique from the Orgregate core book that has a very heavy first paragraph of flavor before it even gets to the description of what to do, or if it doesn't immediately go into that mechanical structure that I talked about in the second paragraph, like it. It just spends time describing things, you know what I mean, rather than getting into the meat. Then that technique is not going to be as good. Not because the idea is bad, but because it's just so unclear what the technique even is. Mm -hmm. the The best techniques are immediate; they're they're crystal clear what they do. The moment you like, like from the name, like everything. Yeah, the everything name, is, the description, as, as the clear mechanic. as possible. Yeah, it doesn't what? have to be like if it's an arm breaking technique. It doesn't have to be called arm breaking technique, but it has to. It doesn't hurt it for the record. No, it doesn't. Like, like I, I, I think I have one called like Mrs. Wu's leg taking sword strike. So you know they can be big grand techniques, but they, it's it's got to it's got to lead you in the right direction. I'll put it that way. If it's if it's opaque, uh, that does serve a purpose sometimes. Like sometimes you want a technique that like sounds poetic and they don't and and it almost the intent of it is that it goes over your head a little bit so you don't understand oh this is actually this is like the exploding head technique but it's called something really mysterious and i didn't realize it um well and, and that will sometimes make a technique very memorable and help your yeah. game have an identity um yeah. when, you, when you have something called like the lotus opening finger and you're like well what the hell does that do and the guy's yeah. eyeballs explode oh okay yeah. we don't want to get hit with that one but <laughs> But once, but once you have a concept, you want that concept to be logically laid out concisely uh, without a preamble. Do you know what I mean? Don't do a preamble. Just, you can do flavor, but don't give the flavor a preamble. You know, don't, yeah, don't like, you know, in, in all of the world, there are three techniques that are most fear. You don't do any of that in the technique entry. Um, you can do that in other parts of the book for sure. Well, that usually you'll have a style description or something above all that. And that's where you want to put in that stuff. That's meaty right there. Because that's the introduction to all of your little techniques, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. And again, I'm guilty of this. I'm, I'm just saying I've learned because I've been guilty of it in the past that it does not work when you do it that like that is <laughs> don't don't be like me kids well <laughs> well thankfully it was something i learned midway through making overgate so for the yep. most part i was actually able to 
fixed most of that. But there are there definitely are remnants of that in the book. And sometimes it was like, well, you know, you kind of want to let a little bit of that slide. Like you don't want I don't know. You sometimes want some of that in there, which is a whole other discussion. But yeah, well, here's the thing. We're talking about platonically, fundamentally, this is what yeah. you want, right? This will work. And whenever you've mastered what will work, that's when you get an, uh, a knack for understanding when you need to diverge from that and to add some new kind of art to it. Yeah. Uh, you, you master the basics first, you know? I mean, you know what I'd say? I'd say you can do it, but if you do it, know that it's going to be more opaque. Know that it's going to be a harder thing for people to grok at the table. Do you know what I mean? Like, as long as you know all that, you can do it all day long if you're mm -hmm. okay with that. It's just that there is, I, I, what I'm saying is be aware of the cost that it brings to play because it does bring a cost. Um, you know, sometimes like maybe you'll find, well, I really want this flavorful idea I have for this technique to be in the game. And that's fine. Like, you know, cause some, maybe adding that flavor is worth the cost that the technique brings. True. But, um, it might yeah. not be a cost that the people that are playing your game are unwilling to play. R remember that when you diverge from a formula, you are signaling very clearly to the reader that this is not the same thing and it demands more of their attention they will have to read it more carefully um so you don't really necessarily want that yeah. to come up and play but you can telegraph that again because we have descriptions of descriptions you know the kung fu style says you know the ultimate crowning chakra mind erasing technique is at the end of this and it's a very strange and esoteric thing you know once they get that in their head that they're like okay i'm gonna have to learn this before the game starts the cool thing about that is that the player and the character are both learning a unique, strange move that they get to bring into the tactical reality of the game and benefit yeah. from. That's really cool. When you can do that as a designer, like, that's that's the gold. Yeah, and, and I, I guess just what I've just experienced is just if I if, if, if that formula, I'll call it Brendan's formula for now. Brendan's <laughs> formula isn't being used. I kind of have, like, a block reaction to it as a GM yeah. where I'm like, okay, this is going to take a moment. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's me yep. running the technique or whether it's a player, I know, okay, we got to stop now so that we can figure out this. Even though the person read it 10 times before they played, we're still going to have to stop because it's, until the person uses the technique 10 times, it's not going to flow. But if you follow mm -hmm. the formula, it's going to flow whether the person has read the technique before or not. That's why the yep. formula is so useful. Uh, it's um, super useful. And... I, I, I like that we can have both. I like that sometimes there are some moves or some styles that require the whole table to slow down a little because it, it that becomes a moment where everyone's like, whoa, what, what unearthly thing is happening in yeah. this style? That can be cool. And once once it's done and you, you have the benefit from it, usually, like, most designers don't make some things that are so unbalanced that it's going to constantly rewrite the rules of the game. But it will always feel unique even as it becomes familiar. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is um, sometimes because this is genre emulation, not all techniques are a sword stroke. So there are going to be times when you're like, well, there was this technique where it was really involved and there were like these eight steps and I want to make that into one technique. And the only way to do that is to violate the formula. You're going to have to violate mm. the formula. So, you know, it, it can't be a, it can't be a hard rule. It's just more of like a, you know, know the cost of not, you know, if you don't, if you follow the formula, what it translates into is this thing it's a, works. It's a sword stroke. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. Understanding when it is appropriate to use your tools as a designer is a really important part of designing games. 
Like, if you know that this is just straight up Hungar Quan and it's all punches and blocks and, mm-hmm. and movement positionings, that formula is what you want to go into it with. Yeah. You should just, you, you think about what kind of like moves and blocks and punches you want. You template it with the formula and then you, you diverge these small amounts as necessary from there. And bam, you've got a lot of design done in a really efficient yeah. way that translates super well at the table. And it feels quick and fluid at the table. Even if you're unfamiliar with the Hungar Quan style, like it will feel the right way when you're running it. It's fantastic, you know? Joel, can you continue talking about Hungar Quan while I just go to part for a moment to check for my package again? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, hold on. Okay, so the thing about Hungar Quan is I learned about it when I was studying uh, traditional Chinese martial arts styles. And what I learned about it was that traditional practitioners used to uh, do a deep horse stance and do punching exercises for the burning of, I want to say, three incense sticks, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of three hours. So as a young man, and I was in my teenage years when this was happening, I decided to try one of these, these training sessions for myself. I got about maybe 90 seconds into a deep horse stance before I realized that I was trembling all over and I was going to collapse. Um, so I bounced off of Hungar Quan a little bit, although I've, I've come to deeply respect it. I like that sort of isometric style. Um, and I think the practitioners of it look exceptionally badass whenever they're doing their thing. Um, not for me. Don't have the leg strength for that one. Anyway, that's my experience with Hungar Quan. So. <laughs> I'm not admitting my failures to you, Brendan, but the audience can know. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, um, I, I, I'm now I'm now I'm intrigued. <laughs> what what is your experience? episode you made? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, well, basically, my failure is that I'm not good at horse stances. Oh, okay. And that's why like, because horse stance is very. I mean, I never did Hungar Quan, but like every martial art I've been in, maybe with the did. exception of Muay Thai, but even that you use something like it occasionally horse stance was like a fundamental thing that you always had to do. Well, it, it, there's certain muscles that it makes extremely strong. It's a, it's a really, it's a rigorous isometric exercise. uh, And it was not for me Uh, because I did Chi Tuan, which does um, something kind of similar does the 70, 30 stance, but it's, you're much more rounded in it. What, What I found with the horse stance was that I would lock up, um, oh, I get you. And uh, I couldn't do that for long periods without muscular collapse. I'm willing to bet if I stuck with it, uh, it would be okay. But man, I didn't have the tenacity to stick with it when I was a kid. We had a, an old school master who used to, like, we would have to do horse stance for ages. Like mm-hmm. some, some, not every class, some classes were about other things. But some days it would be like, okay, we're going to do all stretches and all stances today. And he'd make you hold the horse stance and he'd like, sometimes sometimes there would be like these hand movements that you would do like that kind of a thing and like that kind of like that like they were like almost like dance moves with your hands that you would do to i don't even know what the purpose of them was to be honest but you were in horse stance for a considerable amount of time and then they would put you up against the wall and they would like stretch out your legs you know and you would just have to hold your legs stretched for like ages and so i actually like that stuff because to me that's like the it's like the uh you see it in a lot of Jackie Chan movies when he's training, where he's holding these positions for a really long time. And I always, maybe because of those movies, I always felt like oh, I'm, I'm getting like I'm extracting so much good talent from <laughs> from doing these. You know I mean, um, I, I mean, like the, your leg work improves enormously whenever you're able to do stuff like that. Like I've seen it. I, I'm just even the small amount of exercising I've been doing lately, I've noticed that I just have generally better health as a result. 
but yeah, isometric exercises, man, they, they can really sculpt you. And they, they sculpt your capabilities. I, I think the, the thing about them is that they're painful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really that is hard. they're very painful. Um, but like they, that old Marine Maxim, pain is weakness leaving the body. Because once they're not painful anymore, you can do like superhuman-seeming stuff. And my favorite part about them is they don't really change your muscles very much. A lot of what you're building is internal muscles that don't show up a lot. Like you don't have a lot of like curves and bulges. You have some, but mostly you're just enormously more capable than you were before. Yeah, I don't know what it does physically to you, but I always found that it helped with endurance. I also felt that it helped with getting into low, like l- lowering your body in that way without cramping up and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, oh, yeah. But I mean, because I mean, because obviously, you know, that was for Taekwondo and Taekwondo, you're not getting into a horse stance in the middle of a competition. You know, I mean, maybe in like a um, in a demo competition or something, but not in like a sparring competition. You know, I don't think I ever I never saw anybody get into like a a low stance like that, uh, you know, fighting. Except in this Uh, movie, because that guy totally does. He gets into a super deep well, stance. No, and this, but this was also in an age. Where, you know what's interesting? And again, I don't want to get too derailed in this topic. But we had got like I was in like the '90s, early 2000s period, right? And we and so uh, and that and now we're we're in a much different period for Taekwondo. But back then, it was kind of it was speed and power were two important things. But then you had the guys that came in who started in the '70s, and they were like the old school guys, and they fought a whole different way. And I noticed that those guys all fought with these lows. They would put their lead leg. It was almost like a cat stance or something. Like I don't know what the name of the stance is, but their their rear leg would be kind of the, the knee would be pointing that way. And the front leg would be pointing forward, but extended out. And they'd be kind of bouncing, but really low. Um, and they would kind of be fighting like this. And it, it must have had to do with the rules that they fought under at that time. But I, I think that, I think that, you know, whatever... Whatever the rules are, that that'll shape it. So, um, you know, the styles that I've been in, I just think low stances probably weren't particularly effective against the rule set. Um, but you know, you know, and again, obviously, these are Hollywood movies—not Hollywood, but uh, these are cinematic uh, expressions of martial arts. So they're they're also fact. They're not worried about things that somebody who's well, yeah. The thing we discussed earlier, it's a little bit more about conveying something yeah. than it's about doing it in a way that's realistic. Um, and that's fine. Like I'm watching this movie to be yeah. passively entertained. I don't. I don't need to know that it works in real and, life. And just to be clear, I'm not saying low stances are unrealistic. I'm just saying that I think that the condition, like what's the word, the well, circumstances, I mean, for uh, low stances because you're getting under the opponent's center of balance. If you're short and can do a really low stance in judo, you're like the champion. You know, okay. Because okay. you can roll people over your hips or your back or just mess with their center of balance because you're below it where they're weaker. Well, um, that, that's kind of what these guys did. Like you could like, cause, cause they fought under the rule set where you could actually punch to the face. And I oh, think that's geez. why, they, I think that's why they did that stance because it made, the, it's made the head a harder target to reach. You mm, know what I mean? That makes sense. I, I don't know. I, I, I've never before or after have I seen people fight that way. So I don't know what it comes from, but I always found it fascinating. I also noticed that they had really, really powerful kicks. Like their kicks were, oh, yeah. de- they were delivered with the ball of the foot. And they were delivered in a way that was like all hip going into the kick. Um, yeah, but, those, those are the kicks that hurt. <laughs> yeah, those. those yeah, those. Those, those definitely. Like snap, hurt. Will they snap out? Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> um, 
I remember that one uh, one time me and my brother were sparring and he nailed me with one of those and it was like right in the belly. <laughs> I couldn't yeah, breathe until I woke up. <laughs> yeah, I threw up once because I was holding pads for one of those guys and the same thing happened. He kicked right through the pad into my stomach and I had to go throw up. Um, yeah, it's like came with a baseball bat. It's not yeah. fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. I think, uh, um, you know, get, get, we were kind of talking about what well, before I left, we were talking about the, the structure of the techniques and all that. And that kind of arose because we were talking about, do we have enough kicks in the, in the, in the system to accommodate a movie like this? But I think at the end of the end of the day, what you're trying to do is when you watch a movie like this, you're just trying to sort of extract, okay. And everybody's going to see something different, by the way, somebody else is going to watch this and say, Hey, this is all about the training. Screw you guys. I'm making a game that's all about the training. Oh, and yeah. That's you, fine. And you, I've yeah. seen them nowadays. Like the, the traditional way you and I make games where it's kind of about the end result of being an adventurer who does cool stuff. Some games never even get there, man. Yeah. There's games like Bluebeard's Bride and stuff like that where they're totally taking a left turn on that whole conceit. You know what? Good for them. I, yeah. I like that kind of creativity. You want to do like a Police Academy-esque game where all you do is train? You know what? I'm going to enjoy running Beetle Bailey the RPG. I will. You gotta yeah, keep like, an open mind. Like somebody might see it and be like, "Well, you know, I'm more interested in the effect that like a person who's at the training facility like has an existing boyfriend or girlfriend is gonna yeah. have." You know what I mean? And like, then what's, what's the social dynamic being explored yeah. here? That's totally a valid angle of attacking this this movie. You know, when you're gamifying it, you got you gotta you gotta draw the battle lines about what you want to do with gamifying something. And you need to take notes. The other, here's the other thing. Like, this was just one movie. If you if you want to do a whole genre, like, okay, when I did Ogre Gate, I knew wuxia movies already, right? Like, I, I had seen the wuxia movies, but I hadn't seen them and done so with the intent of making a game specifically. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, that was... Yeah, so, when you rewatch them, or whenever you reabsorb any media with that kind of agenda, you will see completely different things yeah. in it. It will inform your design. Absolutely take notes. Yeah, Watch so, it and take notes. So if there's a genre like that, so in that case it was wuxia, you know, sure, you've seen these movies before, but you you have to go and watch, even the ones you think you know really well, you have to go watch again. And you have to watch again and you have to take notes. Like, taking notes is the most important thing. Um, and And that process is what I think at least for me, I think that's effective. I don't know. Maybe some people have a different attitude, but I feel like you notice the, you really notice the tropes. You notice, you know, whatever it is you're trying to gamify, you're going to just have a better handle on it because you might, you might not realize certain patterns uh, are there that, you know, if, if you, if, if you're watching it for entertainment, you're watching it for different reasons than if you're watching it with the aim of making a game, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And you ask different questions of what you're seeing. You're like, okay, what is the context that allowed those kicks to work you know when were they yeah. tactically deployed um, yeah. what did they do for me as a viewer how would i want that to manifest if i were a player sorry sorry go on <laughs> what's the reward i would get out of that you know do i want to be able to disarm people with them do i want to be able to trip them do i want it to be like strong enough that i'm hitting them in the midriff they go flying back like completely ruined like, what's the payoff I want from them? What, what would be yeah. satisfying as a player? And you wind up asking yourself questions like that, which those are high-value questions. Because you yeah. can make that in, in a game if you if you are designing it carefully. But if you don't even think to ask them, you're you're gonna you're gonna wind up with a lot of techniques that are kind of like edging at what you want that don't actually yeah. do what you want. And that's a yeah. tragedy. 
Well, like like I said, when I did Orgate, I I went and I rewatched all the Wuxia movies I had seen. I didn't I didn't think like, oh, this is you know I've seen Touches End, so I don't need to watch it again. I know what it's about. Yeah. It's you have to watch it and really look for details that you might miss. And the same thing would apply here. Um, you know, I I this is a genre where I, you know I'm, I'm not as familiar with this genre as Wuxia, but I you know I, I know a lot of the the Girls with Guns movies, and I wouldn't if you know if I want if I was like, hey, I want to make a Girls with Guns film. Um, or, uh, girls with guns RPG. I, I I wouldn't say that that knowledge that I have of the genre is 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 uh, adequate. I would think I have to go back and rewatch all those films again. Oh yeah, um, like, like the seven know. or eight films that informed Lone Wolfist. It was the same thing. I would like because I'd seen them a million times before I started this. That's what inspired me to make it. I still went back and rewatched them several times yeah. each, and each time it was like, what do I want to extract out of this? And then it was. Well, I extracted these things. Am I missing anything critical that makes this work? And then it would be okay. I've made these things and I play tested them. Do they manifest in a way that it feels like sincere to their source material? And each time I'm learning different things and I'm, I'm changing my design in subtle ways. And the end product of that is fantastic, by the way. The process is worth it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and I mean, I, I, I was even thinking about it the other day because I was like, uh, you know, we did this and then we were going to record this, I think, two nights ago. And I, messed up and didn't do it on the right like oh, I, I got no. our days like confused it's so, so hard to get things scheduled nowadays but it was all my brain the genre was all my brain so i'm like you know what i'm gonna go rewatch like the first four in the line of duties movies in the line of duty like madam uh, yes madam and so on and uh with the aim of just thinking in terms of genre again you know and so um you know i, I it's just a different viewing experience it doesn't um you know uh you you, you just you get something different out of it when you when you take, when you go back specifically to look for those kinds of details, um, oh, and, and don't neglect the emotional reward of rewatching a scene and coming to the realization that you can now do that in your game. That happens to me a lot now when I'll watch an anime uh, that inspired this. I'll be like, "Holy shit, you can do that exact thing!" That's an that's, infectious moment, by the way. Well, that's something that I that's something that I came up with because obviously you you can't you can't necessarily do every movie in a game. Sometimes, like there might be movies that are there's tension between what one movie is doing and what another movie is doing and so you have to sometimes you'll have to make a decision of is it this kind of game or this kind of game but i did have specific when i made ogre gate i had specific wuxia movies in mind where i was like i want to be able to do the bride with white hair i want to be able to do legend of condor heroes you know there are the, if i can't do these things then it's not then the game's broken like you know what i mean that was sort mm -hmm. of so i had like a few key games on top of and not games key, key movies uh on top of the you know the other movies that informed it uh where it's like these are absolute musts and i think that's yeah. also a useful thing to have having like a firm foundation to work on because you know you do you need the that wide variety of the genre but then also um to have a, uh, it winds uh, up being your final standard, you know. Yeah. Can I or can I not do Fist of the North Star in the game I made to do Fist of the North Star? Yeah. Like if yeah. I can't, I need to go back to the drawing board somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. I've actually I did that a few times with the Fist of the North Star techniques, where it was like these are good and they work just fine and they work for the game as a whole, but they just don't do what they are supposed to do. I need yeah. to fix them, you know. And and that's where you really your game really finds its identity is in that those later drafts where you're saying I demand that my game does this. Yeah, one one um, uh, 
I, you know, like obviously it doesn't have to just be that one thing. You don't want it to just be fist in the. No, 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 but it should right. definitely be able to do that faithfully. Yeah, stipulate on at least a couple. You know, what what I would recommend if you're just looking like the thing that I did when I was just going back and watching these movies again and trying to get a sense of the how I'm going to gamify them is I wrote down every technique I saw used on the screen. Um, and I wasn't thinking of them in terms of like real world martial arts techniques so much as what did the screen show me? What did the book show me? Yep. You know, and uh, and that was sort of how I was approaching it. And I think uh, like as another example, uh, I had a fan translation of The Bride with White Hair, the, the novel, not the movie. And um, and I took very extensive notes and I wrote down every single martial arts technique that was named in the in the, in the book um just so i had a sense of you know like how the martial arts techniques fit into the world that these characters existed in do you know what i mean um and so i think that that's the uh so if, if you if you watch a movie like this it wouldn't be a crazy thing to to actually take notes of every every combat technique you see used in the movie and then mm-hmm. thinking about how am I going to how am I going to organize these and how am I going to do you know what I mean? Like some games yeah. aren't going to organize them. Some are going to uh, it can be more challenging in a film like this where they don't like name their martial arts moves. But like a careful viewing will reveal them, you know, yeah. like the ability to because you can you can look at what they were trained to do. And when that manifests in that final fight yeah. scene, that the whole action sequence, like whenever they have to climb one another to get yeah. to, to get to the gunman, that's something they were trained to do. That's a technique. You know, you don't have to call that out and name it, but if you want to do a Girls with Guns movie, you kind of need a technique like that for for moving around vertically. Uh, whenever they they uh, communicate through Morse code and they use that to blow out the door and then jump in and fire, there's a there's a training sequence where they all blow down a door and jump into fire as a team. That's a move that they get as a squad. Yeah. You know, if, a careful viewing will will reveal the things that your game is supposed to do. Well, and a lot of a lot of movies don't um don't name the techniques either. Like some of them will just you know, the guy will spin around with a sword and everybody's dead. You know, like that's still a technique. Do you know what I mean? It's just it doesn't you know. And maybe the technique does have a name somewhere, but it's not in the movie. Um, oh yeah, I found know. I had to name techniques a lot. Yeah. Or, or another thing I wound up having to do is because my my game is very tiered. There's different tiers yeah. of power to the martial arts. I would have to take the same moves that that kind of advanced with a character just because the character is getting more powerful and say, okay, well let's reverse that and say they learned a more powerful version of the technique and therefore they're stronger. Yeah. Um, so you may have to creatively reinterpret some things, I, but I, 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 I uh, we're going to have to end this in a few moments, but I, <laughs> I really like naming techniques. That's one of my favorite oh, yeah. things to do. Um, I, I've noticed some people aren't comfortable with it. So that's just, you're either, you either like naming things or you don't, I think, but if you like naming things, then you know this is definitely the kind of uh, the kind of game design that's fun because oh, yeah. you know and again not all martial arts games hinge on having a huge list of techniques or abilities but when oh yeah you do I've have games been, to do that. I've been studying uh, some of the older martial arts uh, games where martial arts are like present and Oriental Adventures obviously is one of them but also I was uh, reading a the the old martial arts books for uh, like Teenage Ninja Turtles and things like that the Simbita ones oh uh, yeah yeah that and was a lot a of those game. they they are and they express their martial arts by fundamentally changing the combat system in a really interesting way um, 
and giving you a lot of different weapons. And instead of just having a lot of styles, uh, it, it's a little bit more just about them approaching the whole way of fighting in this distinct way. So yeah, you don't necessarily have to do the piles of techniques style. I think emerge in, in the grand emergence of how martial arts role-playing games have evolved, I think that's kind of the one that's become the dominant one. Uh, but there's other valid ways to interpret it, and it's been done successfully many different ways. A, l a lot of people don't like having a huge number of techniques. That's the thing. I mean, because yeah. I, I make games with a lot of techniques in them, so it's something I'm aware of. There's a lot of people where that is like a that is a non-starter for a lot of people. So obviously, yeah, they want something a little more general and flexible at the core. Yeah, totally fine. Yeah, or you know, they like, or they want something that's um, uh, how can I put it? Like it's more about okay. So one thing the techniques do is they do that. The downside is they can feel like buttons in a game where it's like, I just push that technique. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But some people, what, something that happens in martial arts movies that is very hard to do in games is people are making choices as the combat yep. unfolds. And yeah, so having to consistently make, choose between meaningful trade-offs. Yeah. Is the, that is the thing that is the absolute spice yeah. of a cool fight, So you know? You have more than one thing you can do, and you've got to make the decision of what you're going to do in an evolving circumstance that keeps fights fresh. It makes yeah. each fight and each move in a fight rich and satisfying and fun, and it's really hard to deliver. Um, the, one, the one thing I've always wanted to do, because I always felt that kinetically this would feel like a fight, is I wanted to make a card-based martial arts system where you're slapping oh, yeah. cards down very fast on the table. Do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. But I just never figured out how I wanted to do that. I was, I was. Yeah, it's it's hard to do. Well, because yeah. it, it's it's really easy to to get to the point where people are throwing down cards and they're not quite syncing up with the rules. You need a lightweight system that still invites like enough thought and strategy yeah. that you're not just throwing cards as fast as you can. Yeah, I just knew that I wanted that feeling of throwing the card down to kind of feel like I was punching somebody. That was kind of yeah. you know like that connection. That kinetic feedback is an important aspect of that. It's just like rolling dice is an important aspect of playing those role-playing games. It's fun. There's something about the actual movement there that's that we like. You know, yeah, the clitter-clatter of more than one die rolling together in your hand is fantastic. But the nitty-gritty of the mechanics is where it got, like, okay, do I have it? Is it random like war? Or is it, like, more like a poker-type thing where you have a hand, you know? And then the problem with the poker thing is then it kind of, well, then you're not having that fast, I throw down the card thing. So I just... Mm -hmm. You know, and then I thought, well, what if you had like two piles that were sort of quasi random, but not really? And it's a matter of picking between the two. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I just uh, I just never really. And then the other fact of you have to have the cards to play the game. And um, a deck of cards isn't that hard to get your hands on. But no. I mean, like, you would want to have cards that were a little more evocative. I think that there's a deck of cards. The, the thing that's unfortunate about decks of cards is that they have their own aesthetic. They have kind of a Wild Westy, Las Vegasy aesthetic. No matter what you do, dice don't have a Las Vegas aesthetic. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're just d sixes. You know, we though we've they should. They, I mean, dice are just as Las Vegas as cards, in my opinion. Oh yeah, but, uh, and, and they are, but they don't have it. We we yeah. managed to evolve our gamer dice away from them. We haven't yeah. done that with decks of cards yet. We don't really have decks of cards that don't have that big, florid well, like. Ace of Spades kind of thing. Like they magic, all do. magic, magic cards would be the, um, uh, I guess the the non. But it, I don't know. Is, did people gamble with magic? I don't play magic, so I don't really know. Uh, they used to do it for anti, but it was a long. I, time ago. I will say this: if you make a game that has a lot of kung fu techniques or a lot of martial arts techniques in it, and you want to test them, get magic players. 
to test them. I, oh, yeah. I, I regularly rely on like, like, and I mean people that go to magic competitions and like mm -hmm. really take the game serious. Those are the people that will run your system ragged and they will, you know, like they'll tell you what the, the trade-offs are. Yeah. They'll tell you what works and what emerges yeah. as the dominant strategy. They yeah. will magic. The gathering players are the best playtesters on planet that, earth are none. That was how we found out that uh, blade of the dancing Fox was maybe the best technique in the game. Um, was the you know the magic the 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 player who was really into magic was also the one who discovered that that technique was the one to take and to use it all the time. Do you know what I mean? So that, uh, but uh, um, but yeah. So I, I I definitely recommend um, you know relying on those kinds of players. Oh yeah. I, well, I mean, and you can even the Magic: The Gathering is a brilliant game to look at when you're talking about like comparative trade-offs and what have you, because you, they have it is a strategic element in deck building, and it also has the tactical element in deck playing and what decisions yeah. you make in a turn. It's rich. It's very rich, and it's I, all balanced around a central curb called the Jedi Curb. It's it's wonderful game design, and if you study it, you will learn something about game design that will help you. I've only <laughs> played it a few times because when it came out. I actually had a lot of resentment towards magic because it was siphoning players out of all the D like D and D was dying and, and RPGs oh, yeah. were dying towards yeah. the end of the nineties. There was just this, like you could feel it. It was like a black hole uh, yeah. because you had all of the online RPGs coming out that were like, I forget what the bit was like something quest ever quest. Yeah. Something like that. There were games that the like thing. that coming out. There was magic. There was all this stuff competing for the same territory as yep. role-playing games. Um, and so role-playing games in general it just felt like this black hole was forming and then in particular D, D was dying because wizard of the coast was kind of going under and so it was well, really no, unclear was yeah I'm, uh, yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry with tsr thank you uh yeah, yeah tsr was going under it was really sad what people don't realize i think and again this is just my point of view from you know i'm one person but what I what I felt at that time was it was so unclear what was going to happen to D and D because we couldn't we couldn't separate D and D from TSR those two things were just like connected and so it was like well if TSR goes out of business that means there's not going to be D and D anymore right? yeah like, and there was a real yeah. moment where it could have been like just lost yeah you know something that that was back before the internet where when something kind of went under like that it could vanish. Yeah. Like it was it was a non-zero possibility that D and D wouldn't exist anymore, and we would be even more niche than we already were. Yeah. It's pretty and, damn and, and you would still have had other games, but they would have been small scale, like Magic. Not Magic, a Vampire was the only one that I think came close at that time. And yeah, so, and, yeah, I guess so. I mean, there was GURPS. Um, yeah, but no, but GURPS. Okay, so I mean, I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe GURPS did much better than I was led to believe. Russ always but, has a, at least one little dedicated cult wherever I've been. Um, but, but, but would you say that this is at least accurate? Average group of five players, one of them is into GURPS. Yeah, some somewhere in there. Yeah, Or, so, or some of them will be a champion for GURPS. Like, we should do this in yeah. GURPS, but we will always be playing either D&D &D or Vampire. Yeah. But you would, you I mean? also, would you also not say that the GURPS player is... Nine times out of ten, going to be a math or an engineering type person. Yeah, that's what I usually find. Yeah. Um, so nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that it go. It's a particular. It's like a slender portion of a slender portion of the population. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, and again, it's not like we weren't only playing D and D. Like what? Like in the '90s, 
we were playing tons of games. We were playing Torg. We were pl- I, there was a game called Godlike that came out that I remember playing quite a bit. There I was Godlike. That was a while uh, ago. Big Eyes, Small Mouth. I had a, oh, I had yeah, a player awesome. who loved that game. We played a game called Dark Sword pretty regularly, which was based on the Dark Sword trilogy. It was a and it, and it was like actually the rule book was put out in like standard novel format, which was interesting. It was like a book like that size, um, so it looked like a paperback. Um, you know. Call of Cthulhu, all these games. Feng Shui, oh, yeah. I think, came out around that time. I actually um, just got a the the seventh, I want to say, edition of Call of Cthulhu, the Keeper's Handbook. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Call it's, of Cthulhu was always so- reliable. That was always a reliable game. So, I mean, there would have been these other games around. It's just that 80% of the time it was D&D. That was mm-hmm. sort of the, that was kind of how it was. Yeah, and, um, and using that would have been crippling. Yeah. Know? To, to the hobby as a whole, because it was unifying. Everyone kind of gets into uh, role-playing games through D&D. Without that gateway, I don't know how much this hobby would flourish. I I, I actually didn't. I came in through a game, I think it was called Mech Warrior. That was my first RPG. Um, and I don't even know if it was Mech Warrior, because I never actually saw the rules. I was oh, told it was Robotech by the GM that was running it. Mm-hmm. And when I showed up, they were play- it was basically kind of like a post-apocalyptic type of vibe that's how it felt but with all this technology it was either post-apocalyptic or like really far in the future and somewhat dystopian i don't i don't know which way I would there's a lot of overlap between those two things but 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 i remember i played a robot because the gm had made all the characters in advance and you Mm. had to pick from the characters that he had given and i was the newest player of the game and there was only a robot left yeah Yeah, robots kind of a cool way to start role playing though i like robots i i i mean i loved the game when i started playing it but i remember being the other guy was a lion mutant Another guy was a cyborg. Oh, jeez. So I was like, I was like, I'm like a robot. Like, I'm so it's like such an old fashioned thing compared to these other two things. Um, and keep in mind, this is like when Voltron was really big and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So I was just thinking in those terms. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, so like a little passe back then. They've got a retro energy uh, nowadays. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I mean, we, I mean, we were into robots, but we were into advanced robots like Transformers. You know what I mean? Oh, things yeah, like that. Transformers are old. Yeah. But uh, there's a new Transformers RPG coming out that looks pretty promising, actually. I, I heard about that. I heard about that. Yeah, I'm not. You know, it's funny. I, I mean, you know this about me. I'm not big into like if something was big in my childhood, I don't I don't gravitate towards the media that mm. that puts it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm kind of the same way. I don't I don't care much for revivals or anything. But remember, I also have kids. Mm. And so I understand what appealed to me at the given age that they are. And I'm like, oh, I should share this with them so that we have like a, a shared uh, like you know, pop culture base that we can all reference, mm-hmm. and that'll be fun for them. They can have the same kind of experiences. So I feel, so I, I feel like I a, another weakness, another angle for nostalgia to attack me. It looks like quite a few IPs are being put out now, huh? I know there was another. Wasn't there another big one? D and D not being a cash cow anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't follow any of that. But <laughs> the uh, but the 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 point that I was trying to make is that magic cards. They were the they were like the enemy, and so oh, I yeah. never, I never, um, I just never, I just, I had too much resentment towards it over never that. Really Got to get you into know. it. Yeah, I had a friend who was really into it, but like, like you know, but like I said, he was he was hosting these huge magic events that were taking players from all of our games. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So it was just like, uh, uh, I just couldn't get into that 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 type of play. But I found that when i have players who play magic heavily they are the best at really weeding through the techniques and finding mm-hmm. the, the gems 
um yeah, I, I suspect old school uh three five and pathfinder players yeah have those a similar two. kind of uh, aspect remember though that three oh and three five and pathfinder were also many people who had made magic at one point so yeah. they're they're systems that kind of share that that build and and yeah competitive closed environment <laughs> They were even saying that there might be Timmy cards in 3.5 3E, right? Like that was kind yeah. of a, um, so, but yeah, so, I mean, again, we've kind of wandered off from the path a little bit, but I think it's <laughs> still connected to the topic of gaming. And so uh, I think we'll end it there. We've been going on for an hour and 39 minutes, actually. So that's quite, we're boring. probably good, but, we'll probably but I will say, yep. uh, and I know, I know we meander and all that, but uh, that's just kind of how these discussions are. I hope people don't mind. Uh, I, I, style. I I do want to once again direct people to Joel's game, Lone Wolf Fist. I think that that uh, is that the full title, by the way, because I don't want them to Google it wrong. If I'm yeah, yeah, uh, and it's kind of hard to Google because it had a pl- an open playtest that was out forever, and I think that's the first thing that Google returns now is the playtest is just no longer up. Uh, okay. But it's, it's Tian Chang Lone Wolf Fist, and you'll okay. know it because it's got. What a lady that looks a lot like Tank Girl, atomic punching a bunch of skinheads on the cover. It's fantastic okay. cover, uh, done yeah. by a Kazakhstani artist uh, Pavel Kolomiets. So, I, I have found the googling thing can be a challenge. The uh, like with Ogre Gate, it's wandering here as of Ogre Gate. If you punch that in, there's like a Japanese video game. Yeah. I think with Ogre Gate <laughs> in the name. Again, I don't follow video games, so I'm very not you. Know, but that comes up a lot if you Google Ogre Gate. And with my new book, Sons of Lady 87, what I've discovered is a lot of people that will Google that, they'll get stories about 87-year-old people that are in the news for some reason. Like, just having the number 87 is like a, a – that's just what comes up. So, um, Yeah, you know. I, SEO can be kind of challenging. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that for the most part, role players, and especially role players that get a, a majority of their new information about role-playing games online – they kind of know how to find stuff that interests yeah. them. I was able to hunt down a copy of Weapons of the Gods long after it went out of print. So it's yeah, possible to find this stuff. Yeah, I had to do that for a bunch of games too. So, you know, like I, I, I had to, like even games that you owned in the past that you threw away because you moved or something, then it's like, yeah. oh man, like I'm never going to find that again. And, you know, you, so yeah. Uh, yeah, some games are challenging to get a, original copies of. Chronicles of Amber comes to mind. I was... Uh, I was really psyched when somebody mailed me an original copy of the black box for Ravenloft because I had thrown mine out in a move in like 2008. And at the time I was like, well, I don't think I'll, I don't know why at that time it didn't, I wasn't as physically attached to any of those kinds of things. Do you know what I mean? Or like emotionally mm-hmm. attached. I was, uh, I just felt like, well, I know all the information there. I won't need it. Um, it never occurred to me that I might need it again. And, and then, you know, sure enough, like two years later, I was like, oh, shit, I need this, this box set and I can't I find it. Need it. Yeah. And it was like two years later. It wasn't even like 10 or 20 years. It was two years later. So, yep. um, yeah, no, I, I hoard all of my stuff now. It's all my, all my shelves. So, so we'll, we'll end it there and we'll be back on next time. Um, also, uh, I think me and Adam are going to be doing a special cause Joe, there's a movie Joel is not into, and we didn't want to subject him to it, but Adam ended up watching it. So, um, but uh, but we'll uh, we'll be on uh, again, and we'll talk to you later.